Hi everyone, I'm Abby Feeder, Certified Life and Fertility Coach, and you're listening to The Fertility Chick. This show is all about the road to parenthood, which is never the same for everyone, and our guests' professional success along the way. In honor of Father's Day, I have a very special episode today, and that would be the father of my children. Isaac Feeder is here. We are going to get into all of it, how and why we created our first podcast, Maculate Conception, what it was like to go through 16 rounds and six years of fertility treatment, and where we are now and how it affected our life. I can only say I hope you enjoy, but I know you will because he and I could talk forever and that's why we're married. Here's Isaac. Hi. Hi, I. Hi, Abby. It's good to see you on this. Isaac, is it Fetter or Feeder? Just kidding. It's Feeder. It's Feeder. Yeah, I'm with Feeder. How are you today? I'm good. I'm so excited to be here. I love talking with you, especially about fertility and infertility. And you've got a great haircut. Thank you so much. Yeah. So yeah, here we are. My hubs, Isaac Feeder, father of my children. Definitely sure of that. Because for a while, you don't know. <laughs> you were teasing me about what my father said his last night. Okay, you were showing me pictures of Malachi and being like, uh, this is not your kid, you know? That's true. Well, I was just saying he looks like me because everyone says he looks like you. Yeah. So Isaac and I have been married 12 and a half years. Since October 10th, 2010. 10, 10, 10 is our anniversary. He can never forget it. So convenient. 12 and a half years in, two children, the half of our marriage, six years was spent trying to have a family. Yep, that's which correct. It's crazy because actually before the 12-year mark, it was more than half of our marriage, right? right? It was like at the time we'd been married two years when we started trying, we didn't have babies till eight years in. So that had been 75% of our marriage. I'm no mathematician, but I think that's right. And I think it's accurate to say now that it's been half our marriage, it's still a defining, a defining conflict, a defining, it's a the defining experience, the defining experience, like the, our defining struggle of our marriage towards sure. trying to have a family together. And I think we've been to therapy together. We were in therapy together before we got married and partly during this journey. And there are things we fought about in therapy that I think are just exacerbated when something like infertility hits you. So it's not necessarily like new issues, but it's like you, every single small issue gets put under a microscope because A, you are spending so much time, money, and emotion to procreate with this person. So maybe you're questioning, like, are we even doing the right thing? Is the squeeze? Is the juice going to be worth the squeeze? Exactly. And it's just a constant, you know, sometimes when you have a fight with your spouse, it's only brought on when something comes up. But when you're dealing with infertility every day, something's always coming up, right? That's, it's always there, just like lingering. So I feel like we may not fight about infertility now, but it brought us to the depths of, I think, any of the worst stuff we went through. There's an element to where it's choose your own adventure. And when it's really not clear what the right decision should be, because there is not a roadmap when you're going through this in the same way that we've been able to at least have roadmap or guide posts for other things, it leads to lots of argument. I love you a lot and you know that and I love being married to you and I think we're a good team, but like, I'm not shy when it comes to arguing with each other about things that are really important. That's right. Meaning Which I don't that. think is bad it's, We've even talked about it because we know other couples who don't fight at all and that's a sign of success for them. And I think that you and I both feel that part of our, our arguments have been are good for our relationship. They're not 
destructive. Right. I think for us, we're passionate people in general. So we fight with passion too. Like your grandma always used to say, fight nice. Mm -hmm. And we do, we try. In terms of there being no roadmap for infertility, can you just talk more about what that felt like, feels like, and how it contributed to our journey? Yeah. What we know for sure is we had undiagnosed infertility without a reason or a cause. It was, I mean, not to bring it up here, you know, but it wasn't sperm cut issues. It wasn't egg quality issues. It wasn't some of the other things that can be diagnosed. We don't know why this ain't, this ain't working. Unexplained. At some point, mm-hmm. we're probably going to recommend you call it. But in the meantime, so long as you have the means and the time, let's keep going until this works. But we were not getting pregnant through natural means. We were not getting pregnant. We did four IUIs even. And I would argue that the fourth is probably one that you and I regret because it we should have just graduated at that point. And then you tell me how many IVFs we did, Abby. Eight? Four achievals, yeah. so, eight I transfers. Mean, at any point after one of those failed IVFs, it would have been understandable to stop doing it that way. And we did not because those were still our best chances per our medical advisors, per our wonderful doctors to become parents was to proceed with IVF and medically. But at any point we could have stopped because there's no roadmap. It wasn't like, well, on the next one, it's definitely going to work. It's never the case. I mean, what is it, Abby? Is it always, are they 40% successful? Is What's the success rate right now? Is oh, it it's, depends on right. age and what else is going on. But yeah, like your best, best, best chance. Your best chance is, is not even 50-50. Okay. So this is really hard things to stomach when even though mathematically it's a not a 50-50 shot, you feel you put so much time and money and energy and effort and medical expertise and facilities and diet and you name it into this you're expecting more than a 50% success rate. You just are. Because when have you ever put that much work and time and effort into something to not have it work out? I'll speak personally. I have never, I'm not even you. So I'm certainly not you. I've never put as much effort and time and money and focus into anything as you did, Abby, in us trying to, and you trying to be pregnant. That's what I mean. Yeah. And then there's no right. no guarantees. You do all of that right. and there's still no guarantee right. of anything. And then just compound the stress in making that decision and how the roadmap would really be helpful. Because especially like if you're going into debt to go to law school or something, you know what the result may be or something. But this is, there's no positive, like there's a chance of this not working out. Yeah. And for the record, we did both take out loans yeah. and go into debt yeah. for this venture. Me and neither. I have no regrets about it. Me neither. Yeah. But now, that's easy for us to say on this side of it right. now that we have our... But our you don't... You don't. It's a um, cliche, but you don't miss the money. I don't miss the money. No, I mean, it is a cliche, but I think that was what allowed right, us we had to, to be, do it. It had to be... That was our attitude. To be the financial priority of the time. Had to. And that's what it was. Yeah. And I think I talk a lot th- about this a lot with clients when they are hitting a crossroads and maybe the biggest concern ahead of them is financial. Finances, money is renewable. You can always make more money. You can't always make more eggs. And that was sort of always my vision about it, that one day I might wake up and be really upset that I'm still in debt at 60, but I might be more upset. I can fix that. I can still do something. I I can't go back and make more eggs. So that's how it drove me all the way through. And I think most of the time you felt similarly, but I think there were times that 
you were like, look, we could go on a vacation right now instead of going after the same insanity of not getting results we want, right? Like there were definitely times that I was like, if I hadn't forged ahead, I don't know that we would have stayed on the journey. Right, I agree. And in some ways, right? I was along for the ride at certain points. Because I was... Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's unpack that, shall we? I guess there were definitely times I felt that, like I just said... I kept the process going and I have no regrets about that. I often say like if the women weren't running that piece of it, like if the woman often pushes that piece forward because there's this like the biological clock and the, I just want to be pregnant right now. I know there were times that you were resentful. We were doing another cycle or spending money here again versus something else we wanted. How did you remember at all how you were able to deal with that? I mean, I don't think I dealt with it in really healthy, good ways. Well, first of all, I mean, after, just to articulate it a little bit more clearly, I think that once we did like three, four, five failed IVFs, I was ready to stop throwing this money after this way to do it. And we were still in our 30s very much. And just, I thought we could resume trying naturally and just having that be how we went for it. It was not working. I didn't think it would be impossible. And that's what we disagreed about for the most part, because one has to take priority over the other. And I'm like, well, let's just not get stressed out about all this money that we're spending after this and just see how it feels not to be undergoing medical attention or taking all these drugs or doing all these things and just resume being a couple who really love each other, who like going out to dinner together, who like going to movies together, who like dating, who like going out. I'm like, go on vacation for a weekend. And why don't we go back to being a couple and stop with the money that we're losing and stop with the drugs that you have to be taking and stop with the errands to all these medical offices and stop with this regiment that is really not fun. And let's have sex. Let's resume just trying to have a family naturally. We're still in our 30s very much so. It didn't seem crazy. Yet here we were. So what would I do? We like to drink at night. I would use alcohol. You know, I mean, I would do other things because I would be pretty frustrated. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing crazy, but like, yeah, I'd go to bed with some alcohol or some cannabis at night or something like that because I knew that we weren't going to have any intimate time together at night. And that's just how I coped. I just wanted to go to bed feeling a little bit better and try not to go to bed angry or resentful you or feeling ignored or any of these other selfish things. But I think that I don't think I'm alone. I think a lot of men in these relationships do feel that way. Like, why are we doing all this when we could just keep trying? Yeah, I don't think you're alone either. And it's funny because I, not funny, haha, but I just remember when you would say that to me, being so triggered, like we've already done all of this stuff and it's not working. So what on earth makes you think that doing it the quote unquote natural way, which is a term I've come to hate, but the natural way is going to work. And even when you bring it up now, (laughs) I still get that trigger. Like, of course it wouldn't have worked. We'd already been through eight cycles, but we did have one doctor who said, look, if you did nothing except for just try for seven years, probably get pregnant. That doctor was saying it in a wonderful context and a very helpful way, but I wished it was something he never said because to you, you were just like, oh, one more year. Why spend another X amount of money? We'll just hit that seven year mark and we'll do it. But like, again, there's still no guarantees. Yeah, I mean, it's still something that I have a hard time with. Only if you bring it up. Right. Like, see, right. he's triggered. This is my point. We're still triggered by the same things. Yeah. Our children are four and a half. Yeah. 
and they're a lot of fun. Five years ago today was my Happy retrieval. Anniversary. Wow. Thank you. And I know. Isn't that are. crazy? My fourth retrieval. Whew, and here How we much are. Is your um, this was like a mini, but it was like in the realm yeah. of twelve thousand dollars. Oh my Glad god! Of course. But I just want for, for <laughs> listeners to understand, like, I think that twelve thousand dollars a bunch of times with no positive outcome can take its toll. And by the way, the twelve thousand dollar one was considered a mini cycle with a discount. We had like we had like a frequent fire okay, so card. And we had our we had a punch card. I know. Like a car wash. I wish we did. I wish we would have. Um, I wish we would have. So let's talk briefly about okay. Immaculate, if you will. So Immaculate is a Immaculate Conception is was our first podcast, and we made it in real time as we were going through the journey, mostly because we were pretty much told it was never going to happen for us. And we needed a place to process that grief because we were not talking about it with enough people. And the people we were talking about it with, we didn't feel they were given the tools to give us the right support because nobody talks about what those tools are or what the best way to support a couple going through this is. So we created Maculate. We just talked to me a little bit about what that experience was like for you. And do you still think about it? Every day, well, that at kind the of time, thing. I was like, audio documentary podcasts were like pretty new. Still, I had one colleague. I'm working film and television, and I had one colleague who I used to work with, who I loved working with, who made a very successful audio doc podcast. And we had lunch one day, and I'm like, I loved your show, and I loved what you made. And he's like, Yeah, man. And the thing is, is there's no barrier to entry here. So if you have an idea that you think is right for this medium, just go do it. And it, that sat in the back of my head. And then we had. We met with our doctor and she had told us that like it was really looking pretty rough for our outcome right now. And Abby and I were talking about making an audio doc. And what I liked about doing it as an audio doc for this was I had not yet heard of any couple's story like set in this scenario or the situation. So we had that. And I liked it as a documentarian, as a visual storyteller. I actually liked it for audio because so much of it we were planning to do in doctor's offices or our bedroom or bathrooms and like places that are not that visually interesting anyway. And we really wanted to get as close as possible. And like a lot of it was us having pillow talk arguments about while we were going through this process of IVF. And I'm really proud of it. I'm never in anything I'm in. This was the only thing I've ever been in that I've made. And I don't need to ever do that again necessarily. But I... (laughs) I really enjoyed it and I enjoyed making it with you and I'm proud of what we made and it's very personal to me. And so, yeah, I think about it and refer to it a lot. And it's one of those things where I'm, I would send it to anyone as an example of some of my favorite work. And it just so happens that it's a very important thing to you and me. And I think it really captures a really important phase of our marriage. One thing that's really interesting that I want to share here is friends of mine who have listened to it, who are also often friends of mine, many of them are men who are married, have said to me, they're like, wow, you really went through a lot of shit. Like specifically, not us, but me, because I think that we did a good job of being really honest with each other in it. And in some times, I think you know too, you come off a little tough. And I, I know, I'm shocked. What? You're shocked. I appreciated the empathy. I really did. And I mean that I have no slight to you. I mean, but that was part of why 
it was vindicating. It felt good to hear, to felt heard. That's what I want to say. I felt very heard. There's definitely a few reviews that came in that were like, they were all mostly very five-star positive, amazing. Then there were a couple of people who were like, dude, that guy, I just feel for him. The thing is, I do think a lot of couples fight like that. Nobody ever just gets a a window into it. Because I will say like uh, some of the feedback I got in the same realm was like, oh my God, Josh and I fight like that completely. Wait, which Josh? I'm kidding. to protect the innocent. But, you know, we fight like that and we always think we're so bad, wrong, not well paired. And we're not. Like other people fight that way too. And I actually thought that was such a good element of the show because I think people give up sometimes too soon on a marriage. Not that you should stay in a marriage that's not making you happy, but like they think, and this is kind of what you and I talk about when we say it's okay to fight. Like, so you fight, you fight, you move on. Like you fight out of love, you fight out of caring, you fight out of passion. I I know that you want me to be a better version of myself. You do it because you love me and care about me. I know that's why we argue about things. I'm so glad this is being recorded because I will remind you of that. Softball. I'm throwing softballs here. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. I just think the fighting was very much a part of the story and the journey. And uh, it is a part of fertility journeys. And I think it really freaks a lot of couples out. So I think it was important for people to hear it. I'm glad you're happy with it. Well, to that end, I also wanted to talk about when we were recording, it was about 2018, were, was when the rumbling started that Roe v. Wade yeah. might be overturned. And in our story, we had to have a termination for medical reasons, also known as a reduction, also known as an abortion, from three babies to two. And the two that survived, their lives were put at significant risk, as was mine, if we kept all three. And so for us, it was not at all negotiable or questionable, we were definitely going to do this. But I did not think you were going to want to talk about it. And you did. And you really did. And you really pushed me to open up and talk about it. And I'm so grateful you did. But let's go back and just talk about what you were thinking and feeling at that time. These were rumblings and it still seemed pretty far-fetched. But when this was our next story that I was not planning to tell my parents about, I was not planning to tell anyone about. This was just a private and yet when you're right, I remember looking to you and I'm like, we have to document this and record this experience. And I want to say it was definitely the worst part of our whole thing for me to choose to do a reduction, but it was absolutely the right thing. Like, I'm like we finally got great news that we were pregnant and going to have a family. This is going to work. And then we had another really horrible decision that we were going to have to make that was risky and dangerous, even with wonderful professional care in the light of day. It's still like a scary, scary thing. I'm like, we have to document this. We do. This is important because, and I'm so glad we did because some couples right now do not have this option in this country and that's bananas because it very well could have saved your life. It definitely has made our children to be healthy and wonderful and that's great. Who knows what might've happened? Like, It is so clear to me, crystal clear, that abortion care is critical. It is a no-brainer, no-brainer that we would document and share our difficult experience through while having an abortion. I'm so glad you did. And let me just add, we had, like you said, we present as white, so we are given 
the utmost respect at medical appointments, which not everybody is. People listen to us. We take all these things for granted, which we did not take for granted at the time going through this, and especially with the reduction. We had access to mental health if we needed it, mental health support if we needed it, and family and friends to get us through. And we still had to fight tooth and nail to get a doctor on board that could do it in the right time frame. We still had to fight tooth and nail to find a doctor. It's not like even when there's a reason and it's legal, Beverly Hills, we still, it was not an easy, be like, oh, you just call up the abortion doctor. We had to go special, we had to go on a special day with special hours with a different staff. It wasn't in the dark or anything, but it was certainly not like there. oh, this is our everyday kind of care that we offer here. Exactly. And so we just have so much empathy for people who are not given those tools for access. And that's why I'm just really glad, Isaac, that you talked about it then and that you still talk about it now. Me me too. And I'm more outspoken than ever about it, honestly. I mean, it was freeing to share it there because it's something that, not that I'm advertising, but if I sense that it needs to be discussed or brought up, I am not shy about it. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like to be the man on that side of the equation, like reduction equation or IVF or IVF, a reduction, any of it, but specifically I'm thinking the reduction, which also leads me to miscarriage and loss, which also leads me to IVF. The role of men versus women while pursuing the IVF process, it doesn't even almost compare. And it was a very hard process for me, but there is no balance. I mean, there is no balance between men and women. You are the one who is getting into that chair, who is exposing your mental and physical well-being to hormone therapy and drug treatment and shots in the stomach and regular medical appointments and monitoring your period and you name it. I mean, I'm there. I got one job. We all know what that job is. Okay. And I better come through when it's my turn. But for the most part, it's so on you, so heavily on women. It doesn't even compare in like, That's the other part, like when we would really be arguing about this stuff is like, I just don't have the same leg to stand on as you here. And if we're in this together, we're in this together. And just because it might be a little bit harder on me, well, fuck me. You know, it's really all all very hard on you. It was not harder for me to go through a reduction. I mean, I'm sure it was easier for me. None of these things were about me in that moment as they were about your mental and physical well-being and strength and trying my best, even when I would be on the other side of things and not be as supportive as you needed me to be or wanted me to be, or I should have been, to still just recognize that this is your hardship more than mine. I mean, yes, it's ours, but it's yours more than mine. So interesting because I think of it, in some ways, I think you took the reduction harder than I did. It's so much going on at the time. Like I had work issues at the time. I just delivered a show. I didn't know what was next. And then we had a reduction and I did take that very hard. I did. And it's not like I took it lightly, but to me, it was like, okay, we've done every step to get you to your family. Now the next step to get you to your family is this reduction. It felt less of a loss to me and more of a process in order to get to the game. And I think you took it much more as a loss. And I just think that's so interesting because we had suffered two other losses, one miscarriage and one ectopic pregnancy. And those I took... Not that it's a comparison or anything, but like I took much harder than you did. So it was, I just think, an interesting dynamic. Like you said, we were dealing with a lot. You had some resentment at our doctor, who, by the way, we love, but like 
right. for allowing us to get in a situation where three embryos made it, which was like mind-blowing to everybody. We got considered a situation. We had so, never had success with this doctor getting pregnant. So we were aggressive. And now all of a sudden we hit the trifecta. I mean, it was insane. Well, and like she was giving us statistics on the chances of all three getting to a developmentally viable state where those numbers were so low and yet it was happening. And it was like, we had defied or we had been on the wrong side or the crappy side of every statistic. And on this one, it was like coming through. And so I think that was like the more rational, logical part of your brain taking the hit with the loss. Whereas for me, it was like, this is what we have to do to get to our family. It was less of a loss for me and more of a gain. And to this day, you know, I say that that baby was our angel that got us our family. And I I feel a totally soul connection to that being somewhere that was like, I'm going to do this for you. I'm less about the whole thing of it, but I, I love it. And I am glad that you feel that way. And I love having twins. So that we can talk about that too. I just love it. I was very scared when we were pregnant with multiples initially. I was concerned about us being able to handle that. And it's been such a blessing. So much of it. I just really, it feels it's amazing too. It's like one and a half times as hard is what I, but it's, it's really great. Yeah, no. I'm not sure we nail it, but we try. No, <laughs> we blow it daily. But um, they're really forgiving. <laughs> They right. are. They don't know we're blowing it. Yet. Yeah, yeah. They will sure. one day. I'm sure they'll tell us. We alluded to to the balance between men and women in IVF. So I just want to wrap up a little bit thinking about most of the people that I am going to have on the podcast identify as female and have potentially been through IVF and are also balancing a big career or work of some kind or some kind of success. So that's not something you as a man have to think about as often when you want to have babies, right? But I'm curious when you were going through six years of infertility and treatments and supporting me through it and also pursuing a creative career. Was there a crossover? Were there mixed frustrations? Did it strike you as anything? Oh my God, I can't believe I'm dealing with IVF when I could just be focusing full-time on pushing for a job. I want that kind of thing. How did you feel like well, I, one thing I, tell you, I I got hired on a Comedy Central show because I pitched a sketch to direct that was like an IVF clinic joke about the male portion of that. Like I I pitched an idea where we would like trick out the rooms where <laughs> men give their, what's it called? Their specimen. You know, they're pretty at yeah, the production, production. Rooms, and we would like trick them out and make them actually a reasonable place to do what men are brought to do in there. And it got me hired. So, I mean, I do love that what we go through informs things for comedy or for story. So that was great. I mean, but yeah, I mean, I remember juggling. I remember being on the road shooting a show, and you would call me because you were miscarrying, and I was in Texas for something, and I was not sharing with my crew, who are also my friends, what's going on with us at the time, and it was really a lack to stomach, and then still try to do the best version of my job. But we all have to manage those things. We are all going through crises and troubles and problems while we juggle our work, but like. These are really hard things to juggle. I mean, going through infertility is not good for anyone's life-work balance. Life-work balance. I mean, I'm thankful that I get to do some ideas that are even influenced by it. Like we even made this doc about it because this is kind of work that I make. I mean, I'm really, it was an inspiration creatively on many levels for both you and me. So I'm thankful for that. 
but I also don't think I would have been able to do the job that I had while like doing shot, going through a miscarriage. It is so much harder for women and I empathize. I really do. And when a woman goes on maternity leave or goes like, these are all like, wow, it is so much harder. It is so much harder. And it's plenty hard to be a, to be a man. So I do think about that. Yeah. Is there anything else in terms of our fertility journey that feels like I, you think about you, you, every you day? You gave me a prompt before about if I, and we didn't talk about right. if I have any lasting trauma from our fertility journey. And yeah. I, I thought about that. I just wanted to share. I don't know if it's trauma. I mean, certainly I got triggered by a couple of things even on this call, but I don't identify it or label it as a trauma, but I am forever changed. Like, and there's a couple things that I'm never going to, I don't mean to be negative, but like, I'm never going to see like a lame birth announcement or pregnancy announcement and be cool with it or a gender reveal party or any of these things that are going on while people are pregnant, like to, and the way social media handles these things, I'm never going to really be cool with that. It's not something I can joke about. And I also know that like I will forever be empathetic to couples who go through anything like this. And I don't pry, but sometimes you can see it on people. And I just know how hard it is when you really want that to be a part of your marriage or your relationship with someone and it's not happening. I, it's not something I can take lightly. I love that about you. Thanks. I love you too. Thanks. All right. Well, thanks, thanks for having for me. On. Good luck with this. I think this is great. I'm a big fan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. See you at home. Now. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> okay. Bye, Liz. Thanks. Bye. Wow. We're four and a half years into parenting, and I'm not going to lie. I still feel very fresh from that entire fertility journey, and I don't know that that's ever going to change. And you know what? That's okay. Listen, yearning for fatherhood is just as intense as yearning for motherhood. And I don't think we give it that much credit, as much credit as we do to women who are yearning for motherhood. So thank you, Isaac, for coming on. I think the male perspective is so important and women are allowed to share their vulnerability in a much more open way and men are not. And so I feel for you yearning fathers out there. There are resources available. Feel free to DM me. Reach out in any way if you're looking for those resources. And I'm just sending all of you a lot of Father's Day love this week. Thank you for listening to The Fertility Check. Please don't forget to write us a review and share. Five stars, of course. And if you don't think it's five stars, that's fine. Just DM me and let me know why. And while you're at it, follow me at Abby Feeder, at The Fertility Chick, at Encircle Fertility on Instagram. And you'll get all the updates on upcoming guests, episodes, and all things fertility. Amazing episode coming next week. I can't wait for you to hear it. Have a great week.